Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Welcome to the final episode of Hope for Hard Times. That's episode 26, The Benefits of Believing Bible Prophecy. This is the episode for Sunday, January 7th, 2024. Well, we're glad you're here. And I'm going to tell you as we start out something I pity. <laughs> here's, here's something I pity. I pity the people who mock Bible prophecy or even dismiss it as irrelevant or already fulfilled in the dust of antiquity. They are so wrong. That's just so wrong. That's so wrong biblically and logically. Now, I want to ask you a question today before we dive into this episode, the benefits of believing Bible prophecy. Here's a question. Can you name the benefits from believing in Bible prophecy? Can you think of good things that come from that? You know, if you can name one or two, and I hope many of you can, I would be shocked. Not that you can do it, but I would be shocked that anybody can do it because that would place you, in my opinion, among about only 1% of people who say they're Christians that could name the benefits of believing in Bible prophecy. Most Christians, I'll even go out on a limb and say probably most people who actually are Christians would have to sit down and really think about, well, yeah, I know there's some, but I can't right think what they are right now. Well, we're going to help you with that. Today, right here on this very episode, we're going to see some benefits that come from believing Bible prophecy. And they're right here in 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, this is our third episode on the third chapter of 2 Peter. It's a very important chapter and being able to understand Bible prophecy. And it will also serve as our last episode, or it should, I believe it will, in the series, Hope for Hard Times. Now, I don't know what we're going to do in the next episode. It may be a standalone message, maybe even a couple of those. Or I may have laid on my heart what the Lord would have me to do in the next series or, or topics or Bible book, whatever we do, next, but you be looking for the next episode and we're going to continue. But I want you to think about what it means that there are benefits from believing in Bible prophecy. Think about the implications of that. If we are told to believe in Bible prophecy in a letter written referring to the recreation of the entire universe, which that's what First uh, and Second Peter do, especially Second Peter. Then how could it already be fulfilled? That doesn't make any sense, does it? And you know what? It's not already all fulfilled. Much of Bible prophecy and major things are yet to unfold, but unfold they will exactly as it has in the past literally, exactly as it is written. Now, here's some blunt force truth for all of us. It will be literally fulfilled exactly as written 
whether you believe it or not. For example, in, a, in an online Facebook Bible study comment section a few days ago, last week, I, I just, I don't even know why I read this, but I did. I read last week in the comments section of that uh, Facebook Bible study, an alleged dear brother in the Lord who spent paragraphs berating the doctrine of the rapture you know, the rapture of the church, that there would be one at all. I think if I remember correctly, he said there was no rapture at all. And in particular, if there were, even if there was a rapture, that there would be no rapture prior to Daniel's 70th prophetic week, what we commonly call the tribulation. Well, guess what? The rapture of the church before the tribulation is gonna happen anyway. <laughs> Can't stop it. You don't. You might not like it. You might not understand it. You might even hate it. You might dismiss it. You might mock it. You might try to explain it away. Hey, that's like, go pound that rock, baby. It's gonna happen anyway. But listen, those of us, and I hope that includes you, who believe Bible prophecy are right now experiencing scriptural benefits that that guy and many like him can't because we believe it. And I'm going to show you what those are here in this closing episode of Hope for Hard Times. Now, Paul the Apostle and John the Apostle were inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ to write in part about the rapture of the church and they wrote about that in detail in addition to writing about the second coming of Christ. So they wrote about both, but most of the details that we have about the rapture of the church were revealed to Paul the apostle and John the apostle. But the apostle Peter emphasizes the, the second coming, what we commonly call the return of the Lord, he emphasizes a second coming and the complete recreation of the entire universe, but he doesn't speak of the rapture in particular. Now, here's the neat thing. Our belief in the imminent rapture of the church, and all that word means is it can happen whenever the Lord wants it to. It's, it's impending. Our, our belief in the imminent rapture of the church produces the same effects even as someone who, who maybe they don't know a lot about that, but they're expecting the return of the Lord in the second coming. Either way, whether the Christian is thinking about the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ, either focus at any moment, in my opinion, yields the same wonderful benefits. All right, so let's get right to it. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's go to verse 10. So uh, to, to lead up to this point, and you could go back and listen to the episodes prior to this one, but people were mocking the, the return of Christ and what we call the second coming, and all of that, you know, judgment and everything. They were mocking that, and... Uh, 
you know, saying, well, well so where is he? Where is he? It's been 2,000 years. And Peter explained, and you remember this from the last episode, that from God's viewpoint, you know, a thousand years is like a day to God. And so if you want to press that metaphor, I think it would be fair to call it that. The Lord's been gone about 2,000 years, but he is coming back. And from his vantage point, the way we would look at it, he's only been gone two days. He's coming back, and it's soon. Think about it like that. But anyway, uh, leading up to that, and then we come to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. I don't, I don't want you to go any farther than that right now. But the day of the Lord will come. It's coming whether people understand it, believe in it, or, or what. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And this is not complicated. How does a thief come? You know, he comes, he doesn't announce it. He comes when he comes, and it's usually a surprise to people. I mean, if you knew you were about to be robbed, you would probably be able to stop it, right? <laughs> That's the idea there. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? So Peter's question, the Lord's question really, he inspires this here, is, um, hey, in light of the fact that the day of the Lord will come, whether people want it to or not, whether they understand it or not, or agree with it or not, it's coming. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and, and everything that we know in the universe will be dissolved and recreated. The, the question in verse 11 is, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, Listen, if you're living for the, this world, you are betting on a losing proposition, my friend. <laughs> so the question is, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Like what, what kind of, of people or beings should that make us want to become with the Lord's help? Because we're living for a world that's going to be newly created, that universe, and, and not, the, not what we see, but what's going to come in the future. So we don't put our eggs in the basket of this world. It's doomed. Save the planet. God's going to burn it up. If you're a greenie right now, your head's about to explode, but I'm just, I'm telling you, Yes, as Christians, we should take care of the creation God gave us. We, sh we shouldn't be the worst polluters in the world. I agree with that. You know, we, we drink the water that's on the earth and we, we live from the land that's on the earth. I get all that. We should be stewards, 
managers of God's creation, but we don't worship creation. And even if we were the best managers and stewards imaginable of God's creation, we're told right here, it won't even matter. God's gonna burn it all up and start over. He's gonna recreate everything. Now, I read this verse last week, but I'm gonna read it again from 1 John 3, verses two and three. And we're gonna see the benefit of believing in Bible privacy right here. Wake up right now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now listen to verse three. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Did you catch the benefit? The benefit is if we know he's coming and we're gonna see him, and of course we will be changed to be like him, but knowing that he's coming, what kind of motivating source and resource is that for us to become holy in how we live here? It's a massive one if we know we're going to see him and give an account for the life that we've lived here. Now, for the Christian, this is not talking about the great white throne judgment. That's only lost people that appear there, and they don't appear to find out if they're going to heaven or not. They're not. They're appeared there. Uh, they will appear at the great white throne that we see in the book of the Revelation, and I think it's Revelation chapter 20. I believe that's right. Um, anyway, it's in the book of the Revelation. Everybody appearing there, they're already doomed to hell because they refuse to be saved from hell by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, no, I'm good. I'll get to heaven on my own. No, you won't. And every one of them did that and they're not going to heaven. They merely appear before the judgment seat of Christ, excuse me, the great white throne for judgment to vindicate that God's judgment is righteous and just. Amen. But there are no Christians at the great white throne judgment. However, our lives and our service are evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will answer for how we lived our Christian life. Now that doesn't determine whether we go to heaven or not. We're already going because we've been born again because of the Lord Jesus Christ and him being our Savior and Lord. But our, our works are evaluated, our life is evaluated, we're rewarded or not accordingly. What a motivator that is to get our act together down here. Now, we're never gonna be perfect here, but we can, we can become more and more of what the Lord would have us to be right here before he comes. That should be a desire of your heart if you're a born-again Christian. Now, if you're just a church member, a religious person, or, um, you know, that goes to a, a, a church, is supposed to be a Christian church, but you're not born again, you're not really motivated about that because you don't really believe it. And even if you believe it, 
you don't understand it. So, you know, I don't know. I'll just roll the dice and take my chances. Totally wrong answer. <laughs> if, if you're not even a professing Christian at all and you're in one of the world's religions, you're just as doomed as a person who's supposed to be a Christian but isn't. There's, there's no other way to heaven than the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Well, anyway, you need to come to Christ. You need to be saved. But look at verse 12. Peter goes on and says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Did you catch that in verse 12? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. We are mocked today because we are looking for the rapture of the church, whenever that is. And we are looking ultimately for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule on the throne of David from Jerusalem over the entire world in a glorious 1,000-year kingdom of Christ upon this earth predicted by the Old Testament prophets. It's gonna happen. And then, of course, there's eternity in heaven. But notice here that we're told that we're looking for this. We're anticipating this. We want it to come as fast as it should come. And yet today, people inside and outside the church mock those of us who, who do what verse 12 says. Guess who's wrong? The people who mock and dismiss are absolutely wrong. Sometimes I wonder, did they ever even read the Bible? Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. There it is again. We, based on his promise to us in prophecy, we look for new heavens and a new earth. I'm anticipating that. When I walk through the city of Memphis and see how filthy this place is, I've often started thinking, yep, the one day is God's gonna, everything's gonna be raised, burn up and destroyed and God's starting over and it's gonna be perfect and stay perfect and clean. Yeah, I've thought that recently walking around here. But notice something else. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. By the way, both times the word new is used there, new heavens and a new earth, it's the Greek word kainos. You know what that means? It means uh, a higher quality, new in quality, something not seen before. Now, I think the universe God created and the earth, even though it's fallen right now, and the whole universe has fallen, it still has great beauty even now, does it not? Yes, it does. Imagine what the recreated universe and earth are going to be like if they are a higher quality and a new quality, a new thing. And something else about what God is going to create, it says, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That word dwelleth, means that righteousness is at home. Amen. 
I don't know if you've noticed walking around in this world, but righteousness is not at home. Sin is at home in this world. And if you try to live for the Lord, uh, you're going to be made to feel like you don't belong here. You know why? Because in our fallen universe and on our fallen earth, righteousness is not currently at home, but it's going to be. And the people who love sin are not going to be around to mess it up. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look, there it is again. Wow, imagine that. Verse 12, looking for. Verse 13, look for new heavens and a new earth. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. So that's the normal Christian life, my friends. So these professing believers in Christ who dismiss Bible prophecy, who mock it, who say, oh, well, you know, that's a peripheral thing. We're really not interested in Bible prophecy and the rapture and the second coming and all that. Well, God says you should be. Hello? That's important. And people who are really born again, to one degree or another, are looking for such things. That's a good thing. That's obeying what the Lord says right here in the Bible. See, what does it say in the Greek? It says the same thing in English or Greek. So he says, wherefore, beloved, now we're about to see these benefits again. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. That means get after it in good old Southern terms. Get busy. I mean, put some effort into this thing. Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. So one of, the, one of the benefits is we begin more and more to experience and walk in the peace of the Lord here and now, right? I mean, listen, when this world troubles you and we think like, what do we have to do to straighten this out? Listen, while we can make a difference as the Lord sees fit, you know, sporadically where we are and we should try to do good and be good and have the right influence for Christ. Yes, we should. We're never going to straighten this fallen world out. It's going to be destroyed. And you're either on the winning side with Jesus or you're rejecting him and you are going to be destroyed and crushed. Choose. It's like I saw during the Iraq war, I saw a pickup truck going down the road and it had a huge sign on it. It said, it had an American flag flying, and it said on the sign, this is war, pick a side and stay on it. I like that. Hey, right now, pick a side and stay on it. If you're for Jesus, be for Jesus. If you're not, quit bothering us. And go do your thing, and you're going to be destroyed. And there's nothing that we can do about that if that's your choice. But for those of you who love the Lord, pick his side and stay on it. Because this is a fight to the finish that we're in. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, 
and blameless. You know what those mean in Greek? Without spot and blameless. <laughs> I don't think this is talking about that we're going to reach sinless perfection here in this fallen world, but we will begin to be more and more walking um, demonstrator models of the Lord Jesus Christ, where people could say, well, I know that Ed or Sally or, or, or Frank or Mildred or whatever, you know, I know these people are Christians. I know they're not perfect, but man, they sure remind me of the good things about God. That's how we ought to be influenced in the world, but we're not going to turn around this fallen world system. It is doomed. It's so doomed that God has to have a hell to, to contain the contaminated populations that are contaminated with sin, and, and that includes people as well as spiritual beings, that they could never contaminate his new creation he's going to make. That's how serious sin is. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. Like, what else can God do with it? You know, when you're, when you're given a life, it never ends. If you choose to remain in sin, it's like you're an infectious agent that has to be controlled and contained that the new creation will not be contaminated that God is going to do, that it's got to be contained. But, more and more, here, before all of that happens, we can have the benefit of walking in the peace of, of Christ, of living a life that is without spot and blameless. We're never going to be perfect, but we can come close to it. <laughs> you can get better than you are right now in the Lord. Amen. So let's just, let's not try to figure it out. Let's just live in it. Verse 15, an account... That word there means, uh, in Greek, just what it says, an account. That is like we, we add things up, we calculate it, like, yep, that's what it is. An account that the long-suffering, this is a, a Greek word, makrothumia, it means patience. An account that the long-suffering, that is the, the patience of our Lord, is salvation. Think about it like this. If the Lord had returned a year ago, then everybody who got saved a year and one day ago would not have been saved, right? But, I mean, I realize they can get saved apparently after the, the, the rapture, but I'm just saying, think with me about this. If the Lord had returned 10 years ago, somebody might not be saved today and I don't know how all of this works, but the, the point is when people say, why hasn't he come back yet? Well, more and more people are being saved. That's the good thing. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, that is a struggle, they wrestle with it. Um, and, the, and the idea there, by the way, uh, I'm about to blow your mind with this. The idea there is they, that word rest, 
It means that they twist it beyond recognition. If you've been hearing some people that are saying they're teaching the Bible and you're thinking like, where in the world are they getting that from? They are, they are twisting, <laughs> they are twisting scripture beyond belief. And there's so many examples of that today. And it says, as they do also the other scriptures. So I think he's referring back particularly to the prophetic future predicted in the Bible. And he says, and they do this just like they do with the rest of the scriptures, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Verse 17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So you could say that the believing, one of the benefits of believing in Bible prophecy is it helps you stay on track with what's true so you won't be um, led astray by those who are getting this all wrong. And then maybe the crowning thing is right here in verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So maybe the crowning benefit, two benefits, let's say, right here or, or in verse 18, right here. When we believe in Bible prophecy and we remain true to the word, we can grow in grace. You know what grace is? People say, that's the unmerited love and favor of God. And yet you'd be right, partly. It is. But grace is also used in the New Testament as a dynamic energy. But grow in grace. Well, what is that? The desire and the power to do the will of God. You know, it's sad when you see people who say they're Christians, but they don't seem to, to exhibit any desire to live the Christian life as, as they would probably even agree is right. And they don't seem to have any power to do it. True Christians grow in grace. That is, we grow in our desire and, and we grow in, in, in having and using the power to do the will of God, to be better witnesses for Christ, a better spouse, a better employee, a much better member of our church, and on down the list. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's wonderful when we place our faith in Christ and we're born again. And, but as wonderful as that is, it's only the start. It's like we've, we've walked through the doorway of a room of a large house. Now we're in that house. So that, that event is over now. But, you know, we're, we're born again at a point in time. But then 
we begin to go through the rooms of that house and learn more about this this new house we're in. That's a maybe even a terrible example, but it gives you an idea that when we enter into the Christian life, we don't camp out for the duration on the doorstep. You know, we come through the door and we stop. We've got to go on through this thing and we grow in our knowledge. And I think you could put it this way, it's our our experiential knowledge and our Bible knowledge, that is our doctrinal knowledge about the Lord and the things of God, but also our experiential knowledge of how he leads us in our life and who he becomes more and more of to us as we know him more and more. So that's a huge couple of benefits right there. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, believe it or not, we've come to the end of our series, Hope for Hard Times, and the end of Second Peter uh, chapter 3. I thank you for listening today and staying with us. And if you've just come here for the very first episode, I invite you to go all the way back to the very first one in 1 Peter chapter 1, and that would be episode 1. We started this series, I think, back in, uh, and I should have looked, but something like, I don't know, September, October, or something like that. We've been in it a while. And it's been very good for me, and I hope it has been for you. Some of you have questions about what it means to be born again, to be a real Christian. I want to give you a phone number that I would like you to write down. I'm going to say it two times. If you call this number, someone who is uh, able to discuss these things with you and help you, will answer your questions. Here's the number, 888-388-2683. One more time, 888-388-2683. Call that number and get some help. Now, I'll be back with the next episode of This Week in the Word next week. As I said, it may be a standalone message, or I may know by that time what I feel like the Lord would have me go into as a series or a Bible book or whatever. But we'll be back. If I'm still here, I don't die and the rapture doesn't happen, I'll be back. And I look forward, uh, if I'm here, sharing the Word of God with you. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.